As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the bye week episode of the Buffalo Beat. Happy bye week to you all, I'm sure, after the way that uh, that Bills-Cardinals game ended. Uh, maybe some of you are somewhat excited for a break from from the action. Uh, I'm sure others are probably going, no, just, just get that memory out of your brains. But hey, however you're anticipating the bye week, happy bye week all the same. My name is Joe Biscaglia. With me is my podcast co-host, Matthew Fairburn. And we decided to kind of differentiate from what we would normally do. We would bring the topics and and discuss them at length. But this time around, it's all about what you want to talk about, what you want um, you want discussed on this week's podcast. And so we sent out a link uh, early on Tuesday and uh, for a bunch of different questions surrounding this team, and we got, a ton of responses. So thank you to everyone for doing that. Um, and we'll start chipping away. So Matt Fairburn, um, I did not expect some of the uh, some of the questions that, that were coming in, but I'm I'm excited to to get to some of these topics, no doubt. Yeah, having done the mailbag for um, the last month or so over at the athletic, I've uh, braced myself for some of the madness that comes with these question threads usually tons and tons of questions um ranging from you know very um you know practical serious topics about the the bills uh, if anything about the bills can be serious and um all the way to some strange strange questions which sometimes bring out the most fun so it should be should be good to comb through these yeah i was once asked um, if I, if I had the choice between not being able to use a certain letter on the keyboard or not using a word, um, that describes a football play, I can't remember what, what the word was, but it, it was just like, how do people come up with this? Kudos. I mean, that's, that's, that's some good stuff right there, but nothing like that in this week's, uh, episode. So we'll get to some of the absurd stuff as, as we, uh, go along, but, um, I think a good place to start is one that a lot of people were asking about uh, on this on this mailbag Q and A of sorts. Uh, Larone H wrote in, Joe and Matt. My question would be about Mitch Morse. Do you guys think it was a precaution to keep him out of the game due to concussion concerns, or is there an underlying issue that everyone isn't aware of? Thanks. Well, I think you know just. It, it was kind of a, a mess the way that whole thing in, uh, unfolded on Monday. The the last press the uh, what should be the last press conference before they come back around next week. Um, it, it just just kind of a little odd the way to to answer some things about Mitch Morse, who's their starting center. He's been locked in and um, and it's certainly one of the highest paid players on the team. Um, in my opinion, just from watching the film up until his concussion, one of the best performers on the team. 
and it it just the way that McDermott was saying it was a coach's decision, um, football reasons. He was healthy. All of this stuff. It 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 was just kind of a bit weird for me, just because it, Morse was playing so well, and on top of that, he had he suffered his fifth documented concussion, which we've talked about, and it, it could have very easily just been a case of all right, well, just gonna let him rest, and because the bye week's coming up, because more rest with concussions never really a bad thing. So I, I was just kind of, it, it just kind of threw me off a little bit the way that McDermott was answering that. Or if he's actually considering benching Mitch Morse, that brings up an entirely new subtopic in itself. Because what are they seeing, not seeing from Morse that, uh, that, that uh, was worthy of him being replaced by Ike Butker and Brian Winters in the lineup? It, it was just, just a little uh, weird all the way around, wouldn't you think? Yeah, it was an odd sequence of events uh, during that that press conference. He initially answered the question, might as well read exactly what he said to, um, you know, put it all out there. Because I think what was weird about it for me was he started off saying um, he was healthy. Coach's decision right there. We know Mitch is a good player and just felt like for that week, meaning last week, we felt like we had at least some momentum with the group we had in when Mitch went down and wanted to take a look at it one more week there, which is kind of a mixed bag of nothing to see here. But then, you know, we felt like we had some momentum with that group. Um, when Mitch went down, um, he's healthy according to Sean McDermott and Mm -hmm. in anticipation of people reading that as, Oh, it was a football decision. What's up with Mitch Morris? I just decided to, in prefacing my question with, you know, because we didn't want something like, you know, because I didn't want something like this to happen because I just wanted to clarify and um, not misconstrue things. I just asked if Mitch Morris was benched and he said he wasn't benched. So Mm -hmm. I asked if he was the starting center going forward and he said that lineup will be determined every week which doesn't, you know, Jay Skursky later followed up, you know, asking if anything happened off the field. And he said, no, it was strictly a football decision. So by my count, that's four chances to praise Mitch Morse, the player, um, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of put at ease his spot in the lineup. um, And he didn't take any of them. Now, like, I don't know, maybe the way I asked the question, he didn't like, um, he does, he's not always all that wordy to begin with. Um, but either way, it just felt like missed opportunities to just settle things on that front. And he left it open. Now, whether that's, he doesn't want to talk about the concussion stuff, uh, and wants to steer as far clear of that as he can, um, and would rather have, whatever this uh, lingering doubt is hanging in the air, as opposed to talking about concussions, that's very possible because last week when he was asked about Mitch Morse's, you know, long-term outlook with his fifth concussion, he said, you know, I'm not going there. He's in the, he's in the protocol. So he has very much avoided that topic. Um, Mm -hmm. The simple explanation for Mitch Morse is that, you know, give him an extra week, because he's coming off his fifth concussion and, you know, he'll be back when he's good. But to leave it like this, I I don't know. I thought it was weird. I don't think it's really fair to Mitch Morse. And I wrote today that I don't really think it's fair to the fans either. Um, and I know, you know, I got a lot of people on Twitter saying, I don't care what he tells you guys. You know, I don't think it's a disservice to the fans. Like, whatever. I hope he never tells you anything, which is fine. I get that point of view. But causing sort of this mini little uh, storm in the the bubble of Bill's Twitter that we live in, um, it, it was avoidable and unnecessary. And I don't know the motive behind it. And without knowing the motive behind it, it's hard to know what they're thinking with the future of their offensive line. I know they love John Feliciano, uh, and mm-hmm. I know I could certainly see them saying, you know what, we like this guy at center. We like... He's the leader of our group. We want this being the identity of our group. 
But like you said, Mitch Morris is, you know, the more talented center. Uh, he's the better player. He's playing fine this year. Uh, he's not playing poorly, I don't think, um, from where I've been sitting. So I don't know. It's very possible that in a couple of weeks they'll play against the Chargers and Mitch Morris will be there as the starting center. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. It raised my antenna at the very least. And I think it's definitely something to watch. They're locked into that contract in some respect, but not for too much longer. And I do think, you know, it's worth wondering, asking the question, certainly not going to speculate on on where Mitch Morse is at with this, but five concussions is a lot of concussions. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know one way or the other um, where his head is at with this uh, and, and his future of, of playing. But I, I think a lot of people immediately thought of that when he got this concussion because those injuries are scary. And, um, you know, he just became a father over the offseason. Um, a lot of reasons. I mean, we've seen a lot of guys hang it up because of concussions, because of fewer concussions than that. So uh, it's a fair thing to wonder about. Um, so all of that makes this um, a situation worth watching. And like I said, Sean McDermott could have made it less of one by answering those questions differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, just a simple, you know, we we like Mitch, um, and we think even if he goes to, we think he's gone done some good things for us, and just his his normal things that he usually says about his players. But when you kind of leave it totally open for interpretation, that's especially with someone that's has all that history that we're talking about all of those um all of the uh the salary cap ramifications too the fact that he's he was their biggest signing in free agency since uh since both Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott have gotten there and all of that adds into like okay, what, what is that motive behind it? Is he the starting center moving forward? Um, and it's a pretty if, simple question to answer. Like, I feel right. like, I don't feel like that was, and like I said, I don't know, maybe the way I asked it or whatever else. No, but like, no, that I don't know. Question it was needed like, to be asked because of how he initially uh, answered uh, about a question about Mitch Morse. It was kind of, I was using the question as giving him an opportunity to quiet that by saying, well, yeah, Mitch is a big part of, even if he doesn't say, look, we don't, we don't, we believe in competition. We don't just, you know, name starters weeks in advance, but Mitch is a big part of what we do here. He's been a really good player for us. Yeah. That would end. He said all all that that stuff about different players before. Right. That would end all of it. And instead he Mm -hmm. said, you know, we'll determine that lineup every week, which leaves it open to, Maybe he's not a part of that lineup. I don't know. It would have been easy to say, all right, you know, you know, conditioning wise, when you miss that time with that kind of injury, um, you know, it can take a little while to get back. And we've been pleasantly surprised by the other guys that we have up there. We've liked the development and the depth we're developing. So, you know, we we felt like um, it wouldn't hurt us to go another week with that line, whatever. Um, you know, there's, yeah. there's ways to answer it. I, I don't know. It was it was weird. I know there's a lot of people out there saying, "Oh, this is getting blown out of proportion. It's nothing, whatever else." But if if that's the case, then you know, it, it was pretty easily avoidable to blow something out of proportion just for nothing. And and we're not making, we're not inventing this, um, you know, out of mm-hmm. thin air. And you know, we kept asking the questions to be like, "All right, you you sure you don't want to, you know, put this to bed here?" <laughs> right. And he didn't. Right. So um, by not doing so. Um, this is what happens. Yeah. So uh, that will be a situation to monitor moving forward. Um, for what it's worth, he was also in somewhat of a, a different mood that in press conference settings than what we're used to because he was very candid about his disappointment in the run game, calling it like a legitimate concern and saying they need to do a deep dive to to figure it all out. So he it's it's not as usually he's very tight-lipped and you're not really getting much out of them and in this case the Morse case maybe it's what he didn't say that that speaks the most but I guess we'll just have to see as we go forward all right do you have a do you have a a particular favorite question of yours that that stands out from all the rest that we have 
You know, I think, especially on the bye week, I like questions like this one from from Danny L. Um, he said, looking ahead to the offseason, how do you think Bean will approach the next phase of roster building? They completely... Mm. They completed the teardown, built through the draft, value free agents, and have started to re-sign their own and are now a contender. But based on other teams who have been contenders in the past, Eagles, Rams, Falcons, Panthers, what are the next steps they can take to expand their window? Yeah. Um, I mean, how much time do you have, Danny? Right. Yeah. That, well, <laughs> see, that's like the the big thing with questions like these. And I feel like why I like this question is because it rolls in a lot of other questions that are probably in here. I, oh, I was yeah, mentioning definitely. before we recorded hit record that um, I seem to get a, asked a version of the question every week of how do they keep Daryl Williams, John Feliciano, and Matt Milano? Like, how can they do it? What or you know, what does the salary cap look like? And all those things. And this question kind of wraps all of that into one because um, there's a lot of pieces that they have to navigate um, when this season ends. Right. So looking, I, I think there's two ways to look at it. Um, you can look at it from like an, an individualized decisions uh, point of view, but I think I want to take it more of a, a a broader perspective about maybe where they are, what, what they need to go, because roster building theory is a fascinating topic to me. And, and I'm sure all the same for you. It's, it's one that some of the decisions that teams around the NFL, when, when they get into these positions, some of their decisions are just very odd. Um, and not to say that the Bills aren't prone to doing some of those odd things. Like, for instance, I still think they missed a massive opportunity with Trent Murphy. Uh, but, you know, I guess I'll just have to talk that into existence until um, until I, I go to the old folks' home. Uh, but uh, I think for the most part, what they need to do moving forward is they have to depend on hitting on their picks and the development of those picks. It, it will be everything to their flexibility, their sustainability moving forward. And that's not necessarily like a uh, like a breaking news thing sort of thing. But now because they don't have the, the cap room flexibility and free agency, it becomes more important than ever. And this also becomes the point in time where the Bills have to shift themselves from making tougher decisions and letting some people that they normally would have re-signed and letting them walk. And also in the form of cutting players before the expiration of their contracts. So that puts them in the conversation for, get ready folks, get get the bingo board ready. The compensatory pick formula, um, it, it gets them potentially in the spot where they're not really looking for the big swing in free agency because they just don't have the room. Uh, that timeline definitely got accelerated because of um, because of COVID nineteen and uh, the salary cap decrease that is likely going to hit the NFL next year. So when you have all of these different facets, they're going to have to pick and choose who they want to build around and their core philosophies of what positions they believe to be most important to the sustainability of their franchise. They have to stick to them. They must adhere to them without question, because if they veer, then they get themselves into spots where other franchises tend to go awry, which is you make emotionally based decisions and you give out big contracts to positions you don't really believe are a cornerstone of your franchise just because of past success. And then you're left trying to pick up the pieces at the end. See the Los Angeles Rams with Todd Gurley. So all of these different things. Um, they must take into consideration and you have to be pragmatic. You must be uh, emotionless at times and you have to make the right decisions all the way through. Yeah, I think there's, you know, a lot of this will depend on, of course, where the salary cap ends up. Um, yeah, you totally. know, that's gonna, you know, in terms of the specific decisions that they have to make, you, you have to, you know, first have a number, uh, that you're working with the, the floor being that 175, which would be worst case scenario and would put the bills in a bit of a bind, but there are a lot of things you can always do in terms of restructuring contracts. And, you know, I think that's where they're going to enter into a phase of roster building where it's about, um, almost, you know, one, one to three year windows or, or even one year, you know, look at the saints they they basically are operating in one year windows all the time, um, by 
kicking the can down the road on the cap and it might finally catch them this off season if the cap, you know, drops completely, but they have their quarterback and they're just kind of, you know, rolling out there every year with, you know, as many guys as they can keep under the cap as possible, but they're also hitting on picks. And that's why, right. you know, that they managed to stay in there. So the bills will, the bills think they have their quarterback. Um, they probably do. Um, they'll have to plan around extending him. Obviously that should be priority. Number one. If you think you have your guy, you believe you have your guy, you sign him to that contract. It doesn't have to happen in the, you know, this off season, you can wait on it. Um, might be wise to wait on it, but that might not be their MO. Um, we'll see. I, I think they did lock in Tredavious white after his third year. So there is a, a bit of and, a, a preface here. And I know it's different and not um, Bean's doing, but they also locked up Sean McDermott three years into his five-year contract. Um, And quarterback almost falls in the same bucket as coach in some ways, right? Like, I don't think the Pagulas are necessarily going to be like, you have to extend this guy now, but uh, they're not going to be... they're not going to be mad if Brandon Bean decides to do that, right? There, there's a stability element, um, you know, that's that's all tied in there. But yeah, it's possible that happens this off season. That's kind of the big domino. But then it's just a de- you know, a decision making process, right? You know, Daryl Williams, John Feliciano, both free agents, both you know, savvy veteran free agent signings that they made. Um, how will they feel about? You know, you know, what are they going to look for? What are they going to earn in a league where there's not great offensive line play? Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Feliciano in that six to eight million a year range, um, mm-hmm. and Daryl Williams probably closer to ten million a year potentially. Um, no guarantees, um, like I said, but there's going to be teams with salary cap space out there. And then you look at Milano. Um, I think spot track has a, a valuation of him or an estimated valuation of, of him in the 12 to 13 million a year range. You're going to have to make some sacrifices to get to that point. So like you said, which positions are a premium to me, I think they're going to start with the quarterback and then seeing how things have gone around him, they're going to want to protect him number one and have weapons around him. Number two. Um, certainly one of the places they could save money is John Brown. If they can get him to agree to a restructure, um, I don't think they would want to release him outright, but they'd save a ton of money doing so. Yes, Um, they would. They have a pretty good deal on Cole Beasley. Um, and I think he's the type of player who still has quite a few years left in him. You know, John Brown, I could see, um, breaking down quicker than Cole Beasley. Um, the way he plays. If, if, if I, if I'm honest, in that Arizona game, he wasn't getting a ton of separation, and it, it might have something to do with injuries because they have definitely bogged him down. But Drake Kirkpatrick was running with him a lot on on that in man to man coverage, and where he would end up winning is at the end when when uh, Allen would start to improvise and he would find the open space and he's able to to get away there. But it's not like he was just separating like crazy. I, I think th- there's a little bit of a fear, like you said, that he might break down. And now that he's in his 30s, you have a guy in Gabriel Davis who they think has a future in Buffalo with a baseline understanding. So I don't know. I think that might be an interesting one to track for the rest of the season to see if that, uh, well, if he's able to get back healthy because he is dealing with a new ankle injury. Um, and and if that separation starts to improve once he does get back on the field yeah that's one where the way he plays the game um as soon as he starts breaking down i think it's going to happen really quickly for him because you know once his you know speed and quickness is gone that's kind of his game um it's not all that he does but that's why Mm -hmm. he's good Uh, he's not big Uh, he's a good route runner but he's not big so um you know he's not like with Cole Beasley, yeah, the quickness and the acceleration in and out of his breaks is a big deal. Um, he's also um, really, you know, smart about finding spots and zones and, you know, reading coverages and things like that. I just feel like he'll he'll be a guy that can get you, you can get a few more years out of Cole Beasley for sure. Yeah, I agree. Um, as opposed to Brown. So you bring up Gabriel Davis, that, that's kind of the, the, the drafting piece of this. 
if you're right about Gabriel Davis and, and he was good, you know, and that was a good pick, like, you know, if, if Bean was right there, then the plan is probably for him to replace John Brown. Um, you know, perfect situation for Davis this year. He learns, um, gets some experience, but isn't counted on to be uh, an every week starter or a guy that's getting eight to 10 targets a game. And, you know, John Brown moves on and, you know, Davis jumps in and you have him on, you know, three more years of a rookie contract. Same mm-hmm. and to a lesser extent uh, in terms of expectations would be true of Isaiah Hodgins, who um, had a pretty good training camp at times, um, had the shoulder injury and um, most likely will uh, spend the entire season on injured reserve, get a bit of a redshirt year. Maybe they have something in him. So you just can't do just because the salary cap's getting tight doesn't mean they can't do anything but what it right. means is they can't do what they did in you know 2019 and 2020 which was they could spend kind of like crazy I, I i don't think they spent irresponsibly because the contracts are structured so that they have these outs and they have the the flexibility to make decisions and continue to have room under the cap but in 2019 and 2020 with their quarterback on a rookie deal, they were able to, you know, load a lot of salary cap space into those two years and have a ton of veterans to make sure they accelerated uh, the pace at which they became a contender. That's why you saw Mitch Morse, um, you know, Feliciano, Ty Insecki, uh, John Brown, Cole Beasley, eventually the Stefan Diggs trade, all the money they spent on the defensive line, a lot of which hasn't worked out and a lot of which that they can get out of uh, after this year if they choose to. But so now that it, you just don't have the luxury of saying, oh man, we really struggled on the defensive line. Let's sign three guys um, or our offensive line's a mess. Let's completely remake it with some fairly expensive guys. They don't, they're not able to do that, but that's why they just need to, they need to hit on draft picks probably at a better rate than it appears they're hitting on draft mm-hmm. picks at the moment. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's yeah. still a lot up in the air with some of these guys, but you know, Cody Ford needs to be good. That would be really helpful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these wide receivers that we mentioned wouldn't hurt if the running backs become really good players to add a different dimension to this offense. And then it, you know, it becomes a, a case of, um, you know, just every few years hitting on, on a handful of those guys, uh, that can be cheap and help you be flexible around your quarterback. Because if he continues playing like he is, um, he's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there are, there are a lot of different ways to, to go about this, but you know, they, they do have the opportunity to, um, to either remove contracts or to uh, keep or to restructure players uh, to be able to keep those three guys that uh, that we've seemed to be focusing on here Milano um, Daryl Williams and John Feliciano uh, I would just the way that the defense has fallen off I would probably prioritize Milano just because uh, they seem to have fi- found a market in um, finding some offensive linemen that have been cast off that that can somehow come in and give you a baseline. And Daryl Williams has far outlived that, but I just wonder if that contract would be a little bit too weighty um, for what they're trying to do and how much room they could potentially have. I think the the key the two key ones for me here are probably. Um, Feliciano and and Milano and I also wonder about Daryl Williams whether or not they would do it just because they signed Deion Dawkins to that massive extension for him and maybe you know you try and go about fulfilling that right tackle spot with a draft pick uh, coming up here as opposed to just paying 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 for the for two guys at the same position obviously you want to protect Josh Allen but um, you also have to be pretty um, you have to be savvy about how you do it and not overspending in one area and and like I said before not making emotionally based decisions just because they knew him from Carolina he came back kind of turned around his career all of those things Uh, they just they can't afford to do that otherwise they're gonna have to be cutting some good players and letting good players go at the end of their rookie deal so they have to be careful here. 
And, All right. And they um, did. Um, oh, sorry. They did show that they can do that, right? Last year, they they had Jordan Phillips, a guy that they resurrected, not their guy, quote unquote, right. not a Carolina right. guy. Uh, we know things get a little di- a little bit different, a little bit more warm and fuzzy with the Carolina guys. But he was a guy that you know a reclamation project of theirs, and they said, "All right, we got what we got, and we're going to move on and try to find the next Jordan Phillips," um, which they haven't been able to do, but they have been a little bit more successful at that on the offensive line. So maybe that's something that they, they try to do because you just can't keep everybody. No, you cannot. And if you try to, then you will wind up being able to, or losing out on somebody that you really wanted to keep. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven us based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, uh, this next question comes from John G., who writes in, which of these two possible ends to the Bills season would represent the higher accomplishment for this year's team? One, winning the division but losing to, say, the Ravens in the first round, or two, getting beat in the division by Miami but going on the road and winning a playoff game, say, at the Titans. Uh, Matthew Fairburn, which do you think would represent the most growth in that instance? Winning the playoff game. To me, yeah, I, I mean, I, I winning the division is nice. Um, regular season results are nice, and I get you know what the graphic that pops up on the screen every week. You know, Bills haven't won the division since 1995, or you know, and that the Colts have won the division right, um, sooner recently. than the Bills. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I get that, and I think winning the division, you know, not winning the division would be um, a pretty big collapse on their part. It's theirs to win for sure. But in the end, I'll judge this team based on how far they go in the postseason. Um, I'd view the Ravens and Titans as pretty similar teams at this point, too. So, you know, if they're, you know, losing to the Ravens in the playoffs or beating the Titans, I view it as kind of a, a pretty equal opponent. So that's why I like the question. But either way, it doesn't matter who you're matched up on, you know, with the, in the playoffs. Win a playoff game or two. Um, and that to me is a much better accomplishment than winning the division. Because if you win the division, uh, in what is certainly a down year for the division, but lose in the first round of the playoffs, I'm not overly mm-hmm. impressed. Um, it's certainly growth. You're kind of in the same spot, but, uh, but the, the only thing end is result, you hosted right? a game. Yeah, yeah. Same end result, but you're, you don't have to jump on a plane and fly back to Buffalo. Um, you know, that's about it. You got a quicker walk to to the locker room to clean out your locker. But if it's the same, you know, like um, you know, one one and done, I don't know, you got to you got to win in the playoffs. Like we we've talked about, you know, with Josh Allen and, you know, Sean McDermott to an extent, like we're going to learn about them in January. We've learned a lot, mm-hmm. you know, in the first 10 games about Josh Allen. The next step is January like we already he's good you know he's you know lighting lighting up some really bad defenses having good games against good defenses having his occasional okay games but he's having a really good year now it's you know to be in that next tier of quarterback he needs those moments in January where he steps up and um, helps this team win a win a playoff game and same goes for the coach who hasn't won one either so yeah to me a a lot of it is going to be focused on the playoff results not to say yeah. completely diminish the division but that the, the playoff win is a bigger deal to me yeah i agree with you 100 um if 
I'm sure the Bills would as well because if if they are winning in the playoffs and then to them in the building, even though they didn't fulfill that goal of winning the division, that's still growth and getting closer to the ultimate goal, which would be to win a Super Bowl. So um, I think that is the more pressing matter. Um, but along, kind of along the same lines, um, a question came in to us via Twitter from uh, from our from friend of the show Joe from New York and and he wrote about would you just for matchup purposes or just for how the bills are winning uh, with with them being pretty good through the air uh, would there be a preference to just play on the road and not win the division not have to worry about the the crappy weather in Buffalo at that time of the year and instead be in a a, a warmer place whether it be Miami or in a dome somewhere um, and try to you know get themselves to that victory that way my my biggest response to that would be it's more about the seeding than it is the division because like we talked about um I, I forget what episode that was, but uh, going into this Arizona game, that's which one it was, uh, talking about how how the seeding is important here for where the Bills want to go. And if they can manage to get to that, that third seed or that second seed, that means they're not going to face uh, the top team in the conference in the second round. They are guaranteed of that. So to me, that's that's more important than worrying about weather conditions or whatever. They they drafted a quarterback, and one of their biggest justifications was that he could cut through the wind of of Buffalo. And and might they need to maybe veer and run a bit more? Yeah, probably. But but still, I would worry less about the weather and perfect conditions, and more about the seating because at the end, who you are playing in the playoffs is just as important as as uh, making it and and all of, all the rest that goes with it. Yeah, it, it's an interesting thought that you know the the home field advantage won't mean as much because right. I, I think to me in a normal year. Even if there was a slight um, strategic element of them being better in warm weather and, and having a team that's geared towards that, um, I think the the emotional aspect for the community would matter. What it represented would matter um, with mm-hmm. fans in the stands. But that's looking increasingly unlikely. Um, certainly won't be a full stadium uh, if they if they host a playoff game. So. Uh, it makes you wonder. Yeah, does it does it really matter? Um, you know, they could hang a banner, win in the division, but does the home playoff game element of it really matter? Because they haven't really been right. better at home necessarily. They're um, they're fine on the road. Um, in certain places, uh, they're pretty darn good on the road. And I wrote about um, somebody asked in the mailbag at some point about Josh Allen and bad weather. Um, and he hasn't been great in bad weather. So not many quarterbacks are. It also made me wonder when it comes time to build the stadium, if this is still the type of team they have, does ownership change its mind on the idea of uh, football being played in a dome? Because <laughs> maybe, Fair. Yeah, um, right. you know, you kind of start building your team that way, then maybe you, uh, maybe you want to play indoors um, to have more of an advantage. But um, certainly the home field advantage isn't, isn't what it could be uh, here in Buffalo and the, the meaning behind it really isn't there. It's it's um, bizarre seeing the stadium empty, and it would be even weirder in the playoffs. Yeah. All right. What's uh What's the next question on the docket here? Somebody asked about the top three. Or actually, no, they didn't say top three draft needs. Josh P. In terms of draft needs, where do they need to go in the draft, and how key are the first three picks? We kind of touched on, you know, obviously the need to hit draft picks. And having not really looked at this draft class, um, you know, throwing names out there would be um, silly at this point. But I do always like the idea of which direction are they going to go, because that's less of a um, what do they need right now question. And, you know, what do they need a couple years from now or what do they need? You know, um, you know, what what are the, the problem areas on the roster in terms of youth and development and things like that so where would you say the top draft needs are at the moment 
Well, there are a lot of options. Um, Even though they are failing at one technique defensive tackle right now, um, they have one coming back next year, conceivably, in Star Latule if he comes back. Um, So I probably wouldn't go there, and that's a weighty contract and not really a, a position that you spend a precious resource on. I would probably say at the top of my list would be, unless Dane Jackson shows himself to be a legitimate starting cornerback in the league, and he's, he's, he's had some flashes, but you want to see a bigger sample size, I would probably say boundary cornerback, um, and, and because I think that, because they just signed Tredavious White to a big contract, and you're not really going to have the flexibility to sign a Josh Norman every single year to be that other starting cornerback for you, even though he hasn't been all that great. Uh, That's kind of been the way that they've handled that spot the last few years. So I would probably say boundary cornerback would be in the top three. Um, Right tackle, uh, if they don't end up re-signing Daryl Williams, because that's still a, a very important spot to how they do things. But just along the same lines as what I talked about with Tredavious White, Deion Dawkins signing that huge contract extension, you can't tie up all of those funds, especially in a cap-strapped year, into the same position, essentially. You need to diversify where you are spending. So that's probably up there for me. And then you can you can make a case for a bunch of different ones. Like um, you can make a case for a linebacker if you wanted to, uh, just, just to improve the depth there, like with a third round pick. Um, you can make a case for a tight end because Dawson Knox hasn't worked out just yet. Um, jury's still out a little bit on him. Uh, I would probably think they end up going the veteran route than, than the, another rookie, but I guess we'll have to see. Uh, nickel corner is another one you could kind of throw into the uh, the bucket here, whether it be a big nickel or you know just your more standard nickel cornerback. Um, that that position has so much value within their defense, and and that position in itself is garnering so much more value around the league. So you're going to start seeing these nickel guys get drafted a lot earlier as we go forward into this pass first um, frontier that we're in right now. So th- those would probably be the the top of my list. What do you, what about you? Yeah. Corner and offensive line come to mind because, uh, you know, they're, they've had kind of a revolving door at number two cornerback. Um, what we talked about earlier with re-signing some of these offensive linemen that, you know, makes it, um, you know, even more important to find some, some talent to develop there and they love having depth on the offensive line right tackle probably being uh the priority but uh, you can't have enough guys um you know developing uh, behind your starters on the offensive line somebody else asked about the the big nickel spot um and i do think to some extent that is something they'll look for um i don't know you know last year it was more about how they felt about the player and kyle duggar mm-hmm. than forcing the need um and it's not a position that there's necessarily a guy that fits every year the uh, someone who asked the question pointed out a few guys that um i'll have to watch a little bit more of but i think if there's the right guy that's a, a spot they'll look at and i do think tight end um they might have to go back to that well uh because i don't know right. if dawson knox is is it right now and I don't know that you can afford to, to sit around and wait and hope that he is. And I know Tommy Sweeney's done some decent things, but I don't think you can bank on him being that guy either for you. So, um, yeah, I think those would be would be priorities. And they've invested so much in the defensive line already, but if, they're, if they ever were in striking distance of a, a, a top-end pass rusher, I'd look for yeah. that too. I know they've invested. Yeah, same. They've invested a lot of money um, in Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison, but those guys are are getting up there in age. Uh, I know they drafted, and they can also get out of those contracts too. Right. They especially if they, you know, that's why you know this question is not necessarily about getting a guy for twenty twenty one, but for twenty twenty one and beyond. Um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe you keep those guys around another year and let a guy develop. Now I know they, ha- they drafted AJ Epinesa, but I don't really view him as that top end pass rusher, um, that, you know, this, this defense, uh, isn't necessarily lacking at the moment, but they're lacking a young one, uh, at the moment. So, 
if they were ever within striking distance. Another pick that you can't really force because uh, it takes uh, a special type of talent and athlete to play that position, and you're simply not going to find them all the time, and you're not always going to be in range to pick one. Yeah. Um, I do wonder with Epinesa if they are at all kicking themselves about not drafting Jeremy Chin, who would have fulfilled that big nickel role really well. And I know they probably had their heart set on Kyle Duggar, but I mean, Chin has been playing really well for Carolina this year. So you have to wonder if maybe they're just seeing that and going, yeah, probably should have did that rather than going with another pass rusher, even though, you know, you can never have too many good pass rushers, but Epinesa just hasn't really had any sort of impact for this team just yet and I know it's longer than just one year but you, you can't help but look to what he's what Chin is doing in Carolina and going okay maybe maybe you should have took that guy instead yeah that's um you know there's lots of uh lots of those you can look at over the last couple of years but that one is sure, one yeah. that I think um it was a position that that could have helped their defense for sure and time will tell with Epinesa. Um, there, there hasn't been a lot of bright moments for him this year, but he hasn't had a ton of opportunity either. So I'm curious to see how he develops, but I don't think he's, um, yeah, I definitely don't think he's shown enough to where they would avoid the position going forward. Um, and I think, yeah, there was, there was some talent on the board when they picked him. I know he was considered by most a late first round type of prospect, but um, yeah, Jeremy Chin certainly doesn't look bad down there in Carolina. Yeah, he's he's done quite well for himself. Um, all right, uh, the next question that I've gotten is coming coming from Rogers A, who writes, "Who will be the starting tight end for the stretch run?" And uh, the obvious candidates here are. Uh, Tyler Croft, Dawson Knox, Reggie Gilliam, maybe even Tommy Sweeney. Um, Who do you think and why? I still think it's going to be Dawson Knox. Um, I think they're trying to to see what they have in him. Uh, But I think, you know, Tyler Croft will lead into his snaps a little bit. And I don't think he has as comfortable a hold on that job as he did at the start of the season. We'll see what what happens um, in terms of, you know, how he's involved in the passing game. I think he's okay uh, as a blocker. I don't think he's bad in that that respect. But, yeah, they they don't have a lot of good options here. They have a lot of mm-hmm. okay players at tight end at the moment. Yeah, I, I think Croft has outplayed Knox, and it's been a smaller sample size for Knox, but there have been so many moments where Knox just has not earned his keep on the field when he's been available to them, uh, whether it be as a blocker, uh, with drops, um, the quarterback just isn't looking his way anymore, which I think probably speaks to the issue because last year, at least, Allen was was looking to Knox and, and trusted him in some pretty huge moments, and Knox actually let them down a, a few times with, with his hands last year. So I think this is probably going to be a committee moving forward, if I had to guess. Um, Croft... You know, he's just kind of, he's really steady for them. And he's not flashy, doesn't, uh, won't won't do much anything else other than the occasional catch or a, a red zone target or anything like that. But, you know, he's giving them a baseline of ability that uh, Knox is just a little bit more volatile right now. And when you are in the throes of a, a playoff chase and trying to win your first division since 95 and trying to set yourself up with potentially the three seed, I think they'll probably um, lend themselves to more of a committee to try and dilute some of the the variation that that we see from from Knox, where you, you don't know what you're getting from one play to the next. Like he had he had a, a penalty in that Arizona game that really crushed them, and that Cardinals game was such a huge opportunity for him because Croft wasn't there, had over seventy percent of the snaps, and he just did nothing with it. So. Uh, I'll see. We'll see what he does when maybe he gets a little bit healthier and back into the flow of things. But yeah, it, it uh, it's not setting up well for good old Dawson Knox. Yeah, I feel like it's getting to a point where close to the point. We're not at the point yet, but I think it's getting to the point where in an important game, you'd rather just play Tyler Croft um, yep. and 
not deal with the mistakes. Um, Tyler Croft has been that type of player where you can look to him three times a game, four times a game in the passing game, count on him to not make mistakes in other areas. Whereas Dawson Knox, it's like you might throw the ball to him, he might fumble it, he might drop it, he might um, get a block in the back on another play. I mean, the negative plays with him are what have to drive them crazy, and the upside hasn't been there this year either. Whereas, yes, Tyler Croft did fall down on uh, on one potential touchdown against the Jets, but other, otherwise he comes up you know, with some plays in the red zone, um, and then he's... You, you forget that he's out there, which I think they would prefer sometimes to uh, to Dawson Knox. So their game plan most likely at some, you know, when it, when it really uh, matters is going to be about spreading the field and passing the ball because that's what they do best. Uh, and in that situation, when you don't need a tight end to be as consistent a part of your, your game, you they might get to a point where they just say, let's, let's just let Tyler Croft go out there and um, do the job and know what we're going to get. Mm-hmm. It's it's also interesting looking at it retroactively and thinking about their interest in Greg Olson and uh, maybe how much he would have played if, if he was here. All right, uh, what's what's the, uh, the next question you got for us? Hmm. Are Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier closer to or further away from head coaching jobs next season? And who's absent would be felt the most and who would be easier to replace? Uh, I think that one's pretty easy. Um, I think Leslie Frazier is further away from a head coaching job uh, than he was uh, at least in the offseason. And I think the absence of Brian Dable would be felt way more. And it's just because this is still basically Sean McDermott's defense. I know Leslie Frazier calls the plays and everything, but the, the principles and the philosophies remain the same and they remain intact, which is why you get into the conversation about when you're picking a head coach, do you want to pick the offensive minded guy? Because you know that same structure is going to be around your quarterback or do you pick the defensive uh, the defensive coach and allow the offensive coordinator to to mold that that quarterback and in, in, in and as they see fit and really just be hyper focused on that spot because Dable has been the only thing Josh Allen has ever known of course that is going to be the the most felt thing because you know Allen has made huge strides with Dable as as his offensive coordinator Dable has basically uh, structured the entire offense around Allen's skill set. They have picked up receivers that um, that are best geared to what Josh Allen likes to do, what he does best. And I think they would be losing a lot if if they lost Brian Dable. Now, the fortunate thing for the Bills here is that he is not, at least in my mind, as high up on the potential head coaching list as he was early on in the season right now. You've got guys that are really impressing a lot of people uh, like Joe Brady um, in in Carolina, which is the first one that that springs to mind as that young uh, offensive mind that's just a little bit different and people are expecting him to be one and done uh, coming from college the one year and then going to Carolina as the offensive coordinator the next. Um, so I think there there might be a few more people ahead of Dable, which I'm sure the Bills would love, but um, but that might be keeping Dable from potentially what he wants to do, which is probably probably to be a head coach at some point in his life. Yeah, I don't think I don't think either one of these guys are going to get a head coaching job. Um, I don't think they will, but Dable probably has the better chance. Um, yeah. Due to perception, because, you know, I think Leslie Frazier probably deserves another chance to be a head coach, but this year in particular has not been the best uh, evidence for that uh, just because of the way the defense is played. And that's somehow how these things go in terms of the marketability of a candidate. I don't, I don't know. I, I don't envision Dayball getting a job, but there's a lot that can change in the last six weeks. And there's a lot that depends on, you know, how they look heading into the playoffs and, and down the stretch and how many jobs are open. Um, because like you mentioned, Dayball is not the best candidate right now. Um, 
or not mm-hmm. the only candidate. I don't think he's the best candidate. Um, there's probably three or four guys ahead of him on the pecking order, potentially. But he'll get more interviews this year for sure. And, you know, yeah, sometimes sometimes this can be a slow process, um, you know, becoming a head coach. Um, you have to chip away and, you know, and all it takes is one team that, that falls for you. So um, it could happen for him, but I'm sure Bills fans are rooting for as much continuity as possible, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, because um, while I think in some ways – you know, certainly his loss would be felt more. I don't think he's that hard to replace because they have an in-house candidate who, uh, in Ken Dorsey, who I think would probably be, um, a pretty good fit for the job, but Dable has been a huge part of Allen's development and a huge part of what they do. So I think, um, anybody rooting for them to be just good enough, uh, or just, I guess, just bad enough that Dable doesn't get hired away. I'd certainly don't blame him. Yeah. And if just to add fuel to the Dorsey thing, um, if everyone recalls back in 2017 when they were looking for their first offensive coordinator in the Sean McDermott era, they actually interviewed Ken Dorsey, which I kind of found interesting. So um, that that has at least been on their radar before. And if Dable goes anywhere, you would have to think that that's that's probably what they do. All right. um, We've got time for one more. So I think the only way to do it is to go into the realm of the absurd. So Cody C writes, love one, marry one, never see one again. Rex Ryan, St. Doug, and Mike Rodak. Matthew Fairburn, take it away. Man, this is (laughs) just ridiculous. Uh, I would never want to see Rex Ryan again, I would say, because you can't put him in either one of those categories. Um, He's right. just kind of an obnoxious human. Um, <laughs> and Michael Rodak is a, is a good friend. So, um, yes. you know, I'd say... Big time friend of the show here. He's at the top of the list, but that is... Uh, oh, man, that, those are some weird choices. Because St. Doug has to fall somewhere. Either St. Doug or Rex yep. has to fall somewhere. And nobody so wants who, that. So who would you rather love, Mike Rodak or uh, St. Doug? Well, if, if I have to love one and marry one... Um, yeah, I feel like you got to marry Mike Rodak in that situation. So He's, you're saying you love St. Doug. I mean, look, <laughs> uh, like I said, these aren't optimal choices. <laughs> I would, I'm, I'm with you totally on the Rex Ryan thing. Uh, uh, but I, I, I think I'd probably flip it just because at least with the Mary, you can get out of it through divorce. So I'd probably I'd probably go with uh, with Marone for for the Mary one and and the and Mike Rodak for the love one. But but yes, we are on the same page. Never see again Rex Ryan all the way. Yeah, that's uh, so that's the I, easiest one, I think. Yeah, I often think of those two years as two of the most ridiculous professional years of my career because it's just every day it was something ridiculous. It, it just there was always not often logic to to some of the things they were doing and then that paired with all of the the drama with Doug Whaley as well and it's just just those two seasons and how it's just constant headlines and and just absurd headlines and you never knew what you were going to get on Wednesdays from one week to the next I mean and just a lot of uh bluster <laughs> a lot of fluff yeah, those those two years, I, 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 I often don't know how uh, how we we uh, covered that <laughs> because it was just totally ridiculous. Yeah, he was he was a mess of a of a of a coach, and yeah, just just a guy that you you wouldn't want to uh, wouldn't want to deal with on the daily uh, for longer than a couple of years. Um, f- fun. He's a lot more fun from a distance, I think. Uh, I get a kick. Perfect out of him. way to put it. I get a kick out of him on television, but um, it got a little bit much up close and personal. Yeah. All right. Uh, I think I think we've done well with this with this uh, little mailbag Q and A thing, and now we have the bye week to look forward to. So uh, you, so the, all the Bills fans out there can 
watch this weekend's games unencumbered, not having to fret if the Bills are going to fall down in the AFC East. Uh, maybe you can work yourself into fretting a little bit if um, if you're if you're into that with Miami potentially winning again. But hey, you know, uh, just try try to try to relax. Let it let the let the weekend happen. Maybe focus on your fantasy football teams a little bit and. And just go from there. Uh, it, the bye week is all can be a very therapeutic time, so I would encourage it for for to all. I think. Yeah, I feel like it's a good time to uh, rest the nerves because uh, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be a bumpy stretch run. There's going to be uh, there's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be uh, the nerves will be tested, and you'll need them good and rested after this bye week. Absolutely right. Okay, so that'll do it for us. Thanks, everyone for listening to this bi-week edition. Um, we will not have a podcast over the weekend because obviously there is no game to break down, but we will be back uh, next week for the preview edition and going through exactly what the Bills are looking at with their upcoming matchup with the Los Angeles Chargers. So that should be fun because they have a young quarterback and uh, it should be interesting to track. All right. So, for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you next week. See you then.